Welcome to our journey. Our journey toward a more perfect union. Our more perfect union is an experiment, a grand experiment in something we all cherish, democracy. Welcome to our Radio Roundtable with higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people celebrate the journey of America toward a more perfect union. Welcome to A More Perfect Union. I'm Nick Remesong. And joining me this week from what we are gladly calling our radio roundtable of regulars, I have higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, coming to us from South Carolina, always on the road and always available. We have from Beacon Hill, our representative, Jeff Roy. Jeff, thanks for making the time with us. And as always, someone who does not travel much, but is always there for us, station manager, Peter J. How's everybody well, you know, today? I'm, I'm just a stay at home here, yeah. you know, <laughs> attending to my knitting. <laughs> Good morning, all. Good morning, Good morning, morning. everyone. Well, what we're going to do today is we're at least going to kick it off with a subject, and then we're going to kind of um, see where it leads us, which I think is the source we're going of... to mosey and meander. Yes, we're going to meander. Yes. And I think that's some of, the, some of our best presentations have been as a result of that type of outlook, uh, but we'll try and keep it within bounds. But what we're going to start with today, there are bounds, there are bounds, (laughs) bounds and boundaries. We are going to start off by uh, just a a kind of a whip around, a quick whip around. What did you do this fourth? What and how did you celebrate it? And uh, maybe look at how that balances against other holidays. So does anybody want to uh, kick us off? Uh, Anyone have a particularly unusual story, perhaps? Mine, I think, is is pretty straightforward. Uh, we have, for probably past 15, 20 odd years, made the sojourn to Marshfield. There is a family compound. And now when we say family compound, we're talking about, you know, 1,200 square feet. <laughs> <laughs> so it's compound small c. But nonetheless, we fill it with people and hamburgers. It and- sleeps 20, right? Yes, you've been there. Anyway, comfortably. (laughs) Yes, stacked up like cordwood. Yeah. (laughs) Just like being on an airplane. Anyway, there you go. But we, uh, yeah, we got together and we celebrated. And, you know, Marshfield is interesting because it's famous for the fact that the beach is literally stormed like Normandy by people setting off their own personal fireworks, which Mm -hmm. is, of course, illegal in Massachusetts. But up and down Rexham and Sunshine Beach and all the rest of it, there are fireworks going off all over the place. Mm -hmm. And and they really regulate into it. You know, that's that's where all the pyros live, I think. And they must have missed all those signs along the highways that said, uh, keep fireworks to the professionals. I don't know how many of you passed those signs, but apparently there were none down in Marshfield. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, they're there, and the police are going up and down Ocean Ave and Foster Street trying to figure out. It becomes like (laughs) (laughs) whack-a-mole. 
but they start firing off all over uh, the place. And it has visually, well, you know, part of the problem is they get a great audience because everybody's lined up, you know, on watching all of this stuff and ooing and aahing because they're the collective will of the people is being exercised (laughs) (laughs) and they're going bananas, just firing off all of these fireworks. And it it really is something to see. Um, And, you know, they're, there's some residual stuff that happens, you know, always. The next day. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, uh, and of course, you know, there's the ambulance who somebody got stupid somewhere along the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's all fun and games until the popo comes. Yeah, exactly. You know, it usually is, Hey, Harry, watch what I can do. <laughs> or until the hand starts to bleed. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but it is nonetheless a celebration, uh, by and for the people. I'll say that. And it's just good to get together with the relatives and good to, you know, do the ceremonial burning of meat on the grill mm-hmm. and and all the rest of it. So it's pretty straightforward. And uh, did you say burning of meat on the grill? Yes, the ceremonial you, burning of meat on the grill. Yes. So, yes. So you prefer yours as uh, well done. A bit charred. I yeah. I didn't yeah. say I prefer it. <laughs> <laughs> it just happens that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm just making sure I'm hearing the words correctly as they come out of your mouth. Yeah. That's right. It sounded right to me. I mean, my okay. I've yeah. always used charcoal grill, and my uh, my method is 20 pound bag. Half of that right into the right into the, King, the grill. Kingsford's finest. Kingsford, mm. and then you get your Kingsford's lighter fluid, one uh-huh. full quart container, and just keep teasing. <laughs> and you like you send that back, throw in that match, step back, and you, you got your fireworks of off. your own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you going to do? People three houses away said, "Whoop, they're grilling again." All electric. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do when we go all electric and you uh, can't well. use those charcoals anymore? There may be some restraints on it then. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> we'll have more illegal activity than yeah, uh, yeah. fireworks and charcoal flames and that's burnt right. meat. Yeah, that's yep, right. Everybody, right. Hockey, hockey pucks are up in five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no waiting. Uh, well, oh, you want to hear my traveling story for yeah, the please. lovely uh, weekend? Uh, I'm going to try to bring some order to this discussion. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Look at uh, so for the first time in probably 20 years, I actually left the home front of Franklin and journeyed out to see how other parts of this great country uh, celebrate the 4th. I began my week at uh, in Washington, D.C., walking around uh, all of the monuments and getting a good flavor uh, for what uh, what is happening there. A lot of walking, uh, very hot uh-huh. down there. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. recommend Washington D.C. in the summer, but it was uh, it was uh, really a great way to kick off the week, and then uh, ventured uh, out to Tanglewood to uh, hear my favorite Elvis Costello, who is nice. playing yeah. at Tanglewood. Yeah. What an awesome venue and awesome place to uh, uh, to see a concert. Then I snuck up to uh, Lake Winnipesaukee for a few days. Good heavens. Nice. Yeah. And uh, it, that was a three and a half hour drive in the driving yeah. rain oh. from, uh, mm. from uh, Lenox to um, to Lake Winnipesaukee, but uh, actually caught the beginnings of their annual parade. Mitt Romney was in town, wasn't no. marching in the parade. But then from there, I uh, drove on uh, actual 4th of July to be at Fenway Park to watch the uh, Red Sox 
Uh, oh my heavens! Defeated yet yet again in my <laughs> festive uh, red, white, and blue uh, Red Sox cap, and ended the uh, the Fourth of July with the Quilts of Valor ceremony that took place, giving these uh, quilts to uh, veterans of the Korean War. What a mm. tremendous, uh, tremendous ceremony. It's about the fifth one they've done in Franklin. They did it at the Senior Center uh, on July mm. 5th, a mm. fitting day, recalling that uh, the first engagement of war in, in America was the uh, Revolutionary War. So uh, the day after we celebrate our independence to see these veterans of the Korean War, many of them in their 80s, yeah. I, I believe yeah. there was one in his 90s, yeah. Uh, who were getting wrapped in these quilts that uh, uh, this association is up to having given 350,000 quilts. Mm. Wow. Mm. Welcome home veterans of uh, of any particular engagement. So it was a busy week. Yes. Uh, I'm a little exhausted. Uh, <laughs> well, so you got it all that, in there. Justice, yeah. baseball, highway safety. God. <laughs> Bang. Done. We're, we're, we're golden. Okay. You top that, Michael. Well, I can't, I can't even come close. All I can say is, is that in the South, uh, there's no burgers, there's no dogs. It's Q time. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Of course. With, uh, yeah. with barbecue ribs, uh, brisket and with Memphis uh, sauce. Mm. Yeah. I it's will say uh, Down when there, I you was get a in rub. DC, yeah, they right. closed off three of the streets yeah. Uh, yeah. around Pennsylvania Avenue for mm -hmm. the largest barbecue festival I have ever seen in my oh life. My God. And we happened to stumble upon it and walk through this <laughs> and we're amazed. There so, you go. Uh, we were down south with you. Oh, there you go. Well, D.C. is below the Mason-Dixon line, so very appropriate, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, actually, I just relaxed. It was a very quiet. I happened to be in a, uh, a condominium complex that's used primarily by people who uh, you know, come down to, uh, Myrtle beach, South Carolina for recreation and fun. Mm -hmm. So we don't have a lot of, uh, of permanent residents here in the complex, but we do have some, uh, uh, what I mean by that are, are people who are here year round. So most people either come for the winter, come for, uh, you know, the fall and whatnot, or come holidays. This holiday was very quiet. Uh, primarily I would think, because uh, 4th of July was on a Wednesday. However, and again, let me shift a little bit. However, one of the things that was observed uh, here in Myrtle Beach and in a number of cities across the town, not only did we have fireworks, but we had a lot of uh, gun discharges. Mm -hmm. uh, people shooting in the air or just shooting. And mm -hmm. so... Uh, and, and it's very distinguishable. These were not fireworks. These were actual weapons being discharged. Um, fortunately, we didn't have any reports of anyone being hurt or injured. However, across the country, that was not the case. I know it was unusual, in fact, that there were several events. Well, what we're looking at with regard to that, just some numbers. And over the, the long weekend period, I mean, it stretched several days. We had about... Uh, 12 dead and 60 plus wounded mm. in mass shootings and, and isolated shootings. So it does put kind of a, it puts a, a, it's obviously kind of changed the tenure here of the discussion. So where do we go with this? 
what do we see as a step where on the nation's birthday, a joyous celebration, this sort of thing becomes really big headlines because it should be. Well, it's reminiscent of last 4th of July when we had the shootings up in uh, the Illinois area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this year, it was it seemed to be a lot of copycats discharging into just crowds randomly. Uh, and I don't know mm-hmm. where we go from here. Your thoughts, folks? Well, I will say um, I was a little disturbed when I saw a report that, that Donald Trump had given out uh, President Obama's address, mm. and untru- within untru- 24 untru- hours, someone showed up at that address mm-hmm. with a weapon. I, I shudder to bring that up, but I think it's too important to bring it up in the context of what we're talking about. And the other thing that uh, I would call to your attention is that uh, an act modernizing fodder- firearm laws in Massachusetts was filed uh, just two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, the debate is going to begin yet again in Massachusetts on uh, whether or not we are doing enough to ensure gun safety in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And I can tell by the volume of emails that I'm receiving both for and against this particular bill that it's going to be a very loud and robust discussion mm-hmm. on what we need to do. And some of the things that are uh, uh, among the pieces of the bill are, uh, you know, some changes to licensing of firearms to kind of uh, simplify and clarify some of the uh, licensing issues, the establishment of a violence prevention commission, uh, some more um, changes and clarifications on assault style firearms and large capacity magazines, which when we banned assault weapons, People figured out a way to get around it mm-hmm. by, uh, you know, selling just the pieces. Uh, there's a call for a firearm control advisory board uh, prohibiting firearms in certain government administration uh, buildings. And uh, Michael, you may recall this. I'm happy to see that they are going to prohibit uh, guns from polling places. Uh, the incident that uh, you witnessed and. Uh, uh, I was subject to uh, a gentleman with a gun yeah. at the uh, Franklin uh, mm. polling place. So uh, nice to see that that uh, will likely not happen again. And some other uh, pieces on uh, untraceable ghost guns and banning of those. So mm-hmm. uh, more training. Straw buyers. Anything on straw buyers? Uh, straw buyers would probably come under the registration uh, yeah. pieces. Right. But there's, a, you know, mm-hmm. a, a a host of things that are uh, being presented and uh, a host of people who are rising up and uh, taking positions Mm. on both sides of it. So look for that discussion to take place here in the Commonwealth over the next couple of months. Kind of on another line with that, is there any provision in this bill, um, any uh, language about mental health increasing the availability both and the aspect of a greater deeper dive into the aspect of some of these guns getting the hands of people who just should not have them because they do not have the capacity to to understand exactly what it is they're doing 
Well, we did a, a major piece of mental health legislation at the end of the last session, mm -hmm. which I think will incorporate a number of those uh, policies. Where this particular bill comes into play is the establishment of a violence prevention commission mm -hmm. that will examine what we are doing currently in the government structure for violence prevention services and what initiatives are out there and uh, looking for a report and recommendations from that commission. So I think uh, that would be the place mm -hmm. uh, in addition to the comprehensive mental health piece that we did last session. Good. Yeah, Massachusetts is a leader in this uh, in terms mm -hmm. of what I call reasonable regulations yeah. around um, gun ownership. Uh, and apparently up to this point, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, we have not had any substantive uh, challenges through the federal courts in terms of our laws. I know there's a lot of, uh, when I go to, uh, and I do happen to go to a gun show every now and then here in uh, either South Carolina, North Carolina, I've been the one over in uh, Alabama and, uh, and people ask, uh, you know, well, you're interested in this and I'll go, uh, no, I'd have to. And, and if I did, would you, if I were interested in purchasing a weapon, would you be willing to send it or uh, work with my uh, in-state provider? Where are you from, Massachusetts? Oh, no, 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 yep. no, no. That's you guys are just way too, re you guys way too restricted. Yeah, I mean, normally if if I'm tired of a vendor, you know, hounding me, I'm saying, you know, I'll say, well, you know, would you work sent to Massachusetts? cuts off all conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now I find that to be a good thing because what it says is that we have, I think we have just enough in terms of if one of our citizens wants to purchase outside of the state, especially at a gun show, the gun show vendors know that, Hey, Massachusetts is serious and I can't cut corners and I've got to fill out all the paperwork and I've got to tell them, you know, I can't give you the gun today. I've got to go through whoever it is going to be your receiver. And then they, and it's got to be on your legal list, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And in some instances, the vendors just don't want to deal with it. They just, eh, you know, no, go someplace else. You know, and I think if more states had that kind of what I would, again, call reasonable, Mm -hmm. rational laws i think that starts to slow down some of the proliferation at least of people just going into a gun show and just buying a gun and walking out the door with the gun and the ammunition that one needs to immediately outside do whatever damage uh, uh, your mind led you to so i applaud the legislature jeff uh you know for moving in this direction albeit uh, you know, for some citizens of Massachusetts, when you're outside of the state, they find it restrictive. I find it refreshing. But I must admit, too, that and I don't know how I know the law is not silent on this. But let's say my brother who lives in in South Carolina bought me a uh, uh, a weapon for as a as a gift uh, and he gave it to me while I was here. And then transporting that gun to Massachusetts, what happens then? Am I required to go uh, to the police department register or to, uh, and I hope that that's one of the issues that the commission starts to deal with, because I'm not sure that all of that is clear 
uh, in terms of what happens uh, in a situation like that. But I will say that the 4th of July is getting to be not just a time of family gatherings and fireworks, but it's it's also a time for those who may not necessarily be as stable as we would like to see an opportunity for mass destruction. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that cause that should cause us some pause. Uh, And what I heard yesterday on the, uh, on the talking and editorial comments uh, that, you know, this is the country we live in. I was listening, you know, as you were talking about all of this and what struck me is, is, you know, within the conversation we were having, you were asking about, uh, you know, raising the mental health issue. And clearly, you know, what I see on July 4th with respect to that issue is, you know, there's a lot of variability here. People who are otherwise of sound mind and body and so forth, unfortunately, they don't understand the limits of a party. They don't understand that there are, you know, reasonable boundaries of behavior when you're celebrating something. They have too much to drink, call it what you will, and inhibitions and better angels go out the window and then suddenly you have a tragedy. And and I don't know that there's anything that you can do to legislate against that in that, you know, momentary lapse and and suddenly, you know, people are killed and wounded. It's it's not something that you can just make go away with some type of a blanket law mm-hmm. that affects everyone. Uh and that's that's the difficulty here. Well, when you deal with the specific nature of certain of these shootings, I mean, there are where there's a mixture of com- competing gangs across a causeway, across a street, celebrating, and then all of a sudden they're competing right. gangs. So you had that where a two year old was shot. Uh, then you have the fellow in Philadelphia who felt that he was doing that his shooting people and opening up into a crowd with automatic weapon fire was helping the police. He, he he felt he was there to help police, and God was sending, as he said, God was sending more to help them. That's a, that's a clear, clear, clear mental health issue. So you've got that mixture. You, you have those who are out there ready, willing, and able at any time to pull a gun and to pull a trigger. More, more importantly, they're, they're willing to pull that trigger for whatever reason. Turf, anger, uh, a feeling of having been wronged uh, that that happens quite often. They're coming back seeking revenge. They've got a grudge or general vigilantism. That's correct. You feel yeah. that, you know, you're there to keep law and order and peace because you're armed, but you're not trained. You're not capable. You're not someone who should be wandering around looking for to to help to correct others behavior when your own is is so reprehensible or misguided. So yeah, legislation's not going to help with that. Legislation can can help with those who are responsible gun owners and also keeping certain types of weapons off the streets. But let's face it, someone wants a gun in this country for whatever reason, they can get it. It raises well, the question is there some component of training oh, that yeah. emphasizes, you know, responsible ownership, you know, when and where and how and of course, <laughs> the abstract part of it is getting people to pay attention to the training mm-hmm. rather than just having it as a token checkoff box. Yeah, yeah, I did that fine. Didn't listen in class, didn't <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But, you know, they got the certificate. You know, I did go through the um, training 
back in 2013 and 2014, mm-hmm. uh, because um, when I first took office, it was around the Newtown shooting. And that had occurred when I was out at uh, legislative camp learning the policies and procedures of the legislature. The day I was coming home, the Newtown shooting had occurred. And I knew that uh, gun violence and gun safety were going to be issues that the legislature was going to take up in that very first session. And I had heard a lot of rumblings about how difficult it is and how cumbersome the process is in Massachusetts. So never having been licensed to carry in Massachusetts, I decided that that would be a good time for me to learn about the gun laws in Massachusetts and learn about the training that's required to get a uh, license to carry. So I actually went through the entire process, which involved training with the Gun Owners Action League, where they taught me how to fire various types of weapons. They taught me how to take a gun apart, clean it, put it back together, how to store it safely. And I do recall distinctly during one of the classroom uh, sections where the, the teacher who was an officer of the Gun Owners Action League actually said, we do not believe that everyone should carry a gun. Before you can carry a gun, you ought to be properly trained and licensed. And I said, why don't you ever say that out in public? I said, you you guys have this reputation of, uh, you know, Second Amendment allows me to carry a weapon and under any circumstances. I said, that's the impression you leave. And they said, no, no, that's that's not how we believe. That's not what we want. We want people who know how to use these weapons to have these weapons in their possession and to use them. No one else. I said, well, it's definitely not the message that uh, I'm hearing being delivered. And Mm -hmm. for example, when this legislation was filed, and I'm I'm checking my, my dates here, it was filed on June 26th of 2023. So just a, a few weeks ago, and uh, the legislation, an act modernizing firearm laws, was was filed to address uh, some potential lapses that were, are in Massachusetts law. The Supreme Court had done a uh, case last session, uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, which uh, found some of the laws in New York to be unconstitutional. And uh, we're sufficiently concerned that some of these laws may run afoul of the Bruin case, uh, some of the laws we have in Massachusetts. So we're addressing those. And, uh, you know, I see a host of canned emails coming in from people throughout the district who just make blatant statements about how this is going to turn ordinary citizens into criminals and does not give me an analysis of what they believe is wrong with the proposed legislation, doesn't give me potential solutions about where they think the legislation should be changed. It just says, don't touch our gun laws. Uh, Do not uh, interfere with our rights. I find that kind of email and posturing to be offensive. And I urge any listener who's out there, you want to talk to me about firearm legislation, talk to me in sensible terms, bring me meaningful solutions, 
don't give me the talking points that you received from some computer generated mailing list mm -hmm. because I am simply not going to pay attention to it. It's going right into the deleted files. We have a comprehensive statute that, that's out there. We're addressing a Supreme Court case. I need ideas and creativity. I do not need the bullshit that comes in a canned email. So uh, if you have any question about how I feel on, on this particular issue. I, I, I don't think uh, we do. I, I think I, <laughs> I, think I uh, set off a few fireworks here. Yeah. Uh, probably cost me a few votes, but my God, this is serious business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm dealing very with serious. serious business yeah. and serious issues. You need serious solutions. Mm -hmm. So folks, you want to talk to me about it? I invite it, but please, please be sensible. Not okay, part of it is part of it is is finding a way to bring more light than heat to the debate. Mm -hmm. And reflecting back on what you said earlier, you went through the training course so that way you could speak to it and experience it in the first person. And that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Experiencing all of the issues and responsibilities of gun ownership in the first person so you could speak to it intelligently rather than being just connected emotionally to the periphery of the issues somehow or other with a knee-jerk response that was handed to you. And if we can't raise the discussion, the granularity of the discussion, the investigation of the discussion in some way to seek more wisdom and insight, there, you know, we're not going to make any progress. You know, One of the things I've learned over life is there's a lot of information out there, but not a lot of insight. Insight mm -hmm. is a rare thing. Mm -hmm. and, and we all have to strive to achieve a glimmer of that to be able to move forward. And, and that requires some discipline. That requires some attention. That requires spending time to engage. And I hope, Jeff, that in the, in the time that you've been in the legislature now, you have been able to experience that the message that was getting through to you in 2014, back in those days, seven-something years ago, uh, is much more nuanced. The Gun Action League, for example, is consistent in their in their belief that everyone should be trained and that there should be some very strict, and they have always been that way. But what happens is, is that those messages get marginalized by the, uh, what I call the Second Amendment zealots who have nothing else to say other than what you're now experiencing, which is don't touch my gun, don't touch the laws, leave them alone. Uh, and people probably haven't even read the laws. No. Uh, all they know is, is that I've got my concealed carry license. I've got five years before I have to renew or, and you're on that track someplace. Uh, and I believe that I ought to have the right to have any kind of weapon that I desire. And that's not that's not rational. That's not even what the Second Amendment says in the Constitution. But the uh, but the argument becomes irrational. And getting back to, again, the Fourth of July, this is a time when would think people are coming together for celebration of the Declaration of Independence and our standing up to authoritarian rule. And yet we find ourselves in our gatherings uh, cringing. Because there's a possibility that some in this country, for whatever reason, find it either uh, within their uh, mental state at the time or uh, as part of whether it's a conflict to bring out those weapons uh, 
and instead of shooting off fireworks, they shoot off their weapons at at their fellow citizens, at their fellow human beings. This has got to stop. We have got to find some rational way of putting the brakes on this. Now, you know, I agree with you, Jeff, that those who don't want to contribute to the bait stand aside. If all you have is just leave everything the way it is now, then you're blind, ignorant, and not paying attention to what's happening to those of us as citizens in this country. But if you do have, for example, as I was saying, Jeff, there, you know, you know, one of the loopholes that I think is out there is that what happens if someone from a state different than Massachusetts gifts to me a weapon? You know, what's my obligation as the receiver of that gift in terms of making it known to whether it's registry board or whether it's to the police that I have this weapon that may or may not meet uh, the legal standards as if I had bought the gun myself uh, here in Massachusetts? I think that's a reasonable uh, that's a reasonable discussion. Should that be an exemption? I mean, I can argue both sides of that, but. Uh, I'm sure, Jeff, you want to hear the arguments. You want to hear as citizens what we think. And let me just go ahead and go out there on a limb then and say, Jeff, that I think that that it becomes a legitimate exception if someone in my family says, hey, I want you to have this shotgun. The shotgun does not necessarily, and it's a family heirloom. And what I'm actually uh, describing for you is a real story. I have a, uh, I have a family heirloom. Uh, I'm not sure it meets the standard set uh, in currently in Massachusetts, but it was uh, bequeathed to me by my uncle through one of my cousins who live in Kentucky, where it was legal. And now I and the question and I've asked. So the question is, I've taken it to my gun shop and what they've done is to make it in perfect work order, because actually what I'm going to do is is to mount it as an antique because it is. It was made in 18, 1889. It was wow. made here in Massachusetts. It is a uh, not only is it a full weapon, but it was used all through uh, World War One and World War Two as a standard issue for some of the combat soldiers and it is a uh, uh, it has a magazine internal magazine and it is absolutely a wonderful gun original stock etc so the question for me is okay if i keep it uh, under what conditions can i keep it that are legitimate those are the kinds of things i think that we as citizens ought to be thinking about and helping our legislative members like you around that and this path, you know, in just a couple of days ago, as I'm as I'm following all of these shootings, including Boston, let's be clear about something. We're not exempt from shootings just mm -hmm. because we mm -hmm. have good laws. Mm -hmm. OK, so let's be clear about that. So it's not just the laws that have to be adequate. But I will say that, you know, our exposure is limited uh, more so than some states because of our laws. So it's not going to eliminate, you know, laws don't eliminate the, uh, the opportunity for people of ill will to do bad things. Um, but laws at least help to, or the probability of those things happening, because we still are the most armed nation on the planet. I think part of it is, is that the ability to acquire a, a gun like the one that you described, and to do so legally might rest upon, number one, were you trained? You have proof of compliance 
and and willingness, et cetera. And, and so here you end up, because you went through the obligation of responsible training, you end up with the privilege of having the expanded right to take in a weapon like this. And then the other issue is informing the local police that such a weapon exists or whoever authorities, and you just say, I've got this, these are the circumstances, I would like to have this weapon brought into Massachusetts, into my home, and I am simply making a public declaration of its existence. And so that kind of specificity says, okay, we've registered intent. There's a picture of the weapon on file. There's information about its origins. The fact that here is a weapon that has provenance, there's a key word, and, and, and that it has sentimental value. And I think that there's room for that. I think there's a lot of room for that in responsible legislation that allows people to have items in their possession that have personal worth, uh, sentimental value, and that the law respects that and makes room for that. So I see that as being perhaps the type of discussion that points back to the desire Jeff has to have a responsible discussion about what can we do to round out the existing legislation to make it work a little bit better in some ways and to be able to call out certain things that we would like to accommodate in in forward-looking legislation. So that's a realistic discussion. And at the same time, that discussion doesn't, not only avoids constraining people's rights, but what it does is ensures the safety of others. It does what the law intends. So I think a collection of circumstances that can then be codified into some laws reasonably is a good discussion to have. I'll say that's definitely one I will uh, pay close attention to and see uh, what exists now and what can be framed into the uh, proposed legislation to uh, accommodate that. I think that's a you raise some valid points and uh, we have to we have to consider that in whatever we do. I will also say that before this particular bill was filed on June 26th, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee went across the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and held town halls in multiple communities. Uh, the closest one that happened to Franklin was in May, and it was at Framingham State University, and uh, they opened up uh, one of their spaces to accommodate both a presentation by the chair of the Judiciary Committee. There was a panel of uh, physicians and police uh, folks and others who had particular training in gun violence and gun safety. They did a presentation. And then it was an open forum for people to weigh in on what they'd like to see in the particular package of legislation. I went to one of the events. I went to the one at Framingham State. I thought it was uh, an amazing discussion, uh, hearing from folks on uh, on both sides of the issue, really helped to formulate ideas. But this went on throughout Massachusetts. Uh, I, I think there were seven or eight of these uh, regional meetings. So the legislation wasn't created in a vacuum. It wasn't created without consideration of uh, input and viewpoints. And the legislation that was filed is a, another part of the conversation. You know, mm -hmm. a legislation, a bill that's filed does not come out at the other end of the 
spectrum looking exactly as it did when it was filed. It goes mm -hmm. through a committee process. The bill will get a hearing, uh, likely before the Judiciary Committee, uh, and I would anticipate that that'll be in the next month or so. And then it uh, goes from the judiciary, gets reported out, and will end up probably at the uh, Committee on Ways and Means that'll have an opportunity to look at it, weigh in. And then the bill comes out to the House floor, and uh, members will be able to file amendments and have a debate on the particular bill. And then it gets uh, you know, passed uh, by the House and then sent over to the Senate for them to begin their process. So there's a lot of opportunities for input and thoughtfulness uh, about how this legislation should look like at the end of the day. So um, you know, I'm glad we began this discussion here today. It came out of a discussion over gun violence over the 4th of July but I think it's set an important context for the discussion we'll be having over the next several months. And I hope people will participate like Michael just did in an incredibly meaningful way with thoughtful mm -hmm. solutions rather than just saying, you know, it threatens, I, you know, I get people who say, you vote for this bill, you'll never get uh, my vote or any money from mm. me. Well, I can guarantee you the sender of that <laughs> is likely to have never voted for me. Uh, so it, it's an idle threat. But, you know, that's not how we get things done. How we get things done is we bring ideas to the table, we discuss them, and we vote on them. And that's uh, this issue should be no different from any other issue before us. I certainly hope that, you know, we find a way to celebrate the 4th of July in future times. Maybe this is a hangover from COVID. I have no idea, but you know, that's always you know, out there. We've seen behavior yeah. change in our new normal. That's uh, that's something that, that, that occurred to me also is just this, the vitriol and the contentious behavior that went on all during COVID. And then you couple that with the fact that people were shut in. Uh, to a great extent, they that, had something taken from them that they felt they just absolutely had to have. And then, of course, there's the issue of, you know, the economy following COVID, which you know mm -hmm. I don't want to belabor it, but clearly there are people who continue to be hurting, whatever. And, mm -hmm. you know, as a rising tide floats all boats, you know, an improving economy perhaps makes things better for everyone. And some of the some of the tensions might abate slowly. But that said, you know, I'd, I'd like to see future Fourth of Julys be celebrated enthusiastically yet more peaceably. I wrote a piece about it uh, last week, and I'm just going to touch a little piece on that. Uh, you know, it's a biggie international psyche, as it should be. And of course, it's the annual affirmation of, you know, who we are as a nation and what we stand for as a people. That's a key thing, what we stand for as a people. And it isn't, it isn't random violence. There are a few places that celebrate it as well as Franklin does. I mean, we go all out. And it deserves big play responsibly. But there's there's another date we can call attention to. And the other date we can call attention to, August 24th. August the 24th is coming up in about six weeks or so. That is Ukrainian Independence Day. They will be experiencing the same thing that we do. But in the first person and in that moment, you know, they know the rocket's red glare and the bombs bursting in air means a whole lot more. And proof in the night their flag was still there. And we need to support that. We need to let them know that independence, you know, for us and for them, is united beyond international borders. And that's what freedom costs. Well said, Peter. Well said.
And, yeah. you know, and I'm glad you hit upon Franklin uh, because bringing this home while uh, Mike Kelly and I were running the 4th of July celebration for Franklin for seven, eight years, one of the things that we were very proud of is that in the family, I think it's the family magazine, mm -hmm. uh, Franklin was in the top five of places to raise children in the United States. And part of the rationale uh, or part of the, the judgment was based upon our community involvement, both in our youth sports programs, our programs for youth, and our July 4th celebration was uh, markedly pointed out as one of the things that sort of keeps uh, this idea of community and Americana uh, alive in our in our little small town. And so, uh, again, this 4th of July, Franklin came together. We may have, I think, the longest running community celebration of the 4th of July in the state. If not, we're pretty cool. Oh, no, I think it's Bristol. I think it's mm -hmm. Bristol that has the uh, mm -hmm. that has the longest one. Uh, but we're up there. Okay. I'm trying to be over prideful, I guess mm -hmm. now. Uh, but one of the things that this discussion has done for me is to make a suggestion. Why don't we take uh, MPU, more perfect union on the road with this topic? Why don't we go over to Dean College? and invite Jeff and all of the legislative members to uh, an MPU open forum on what can or should we do uh, with uh, uh, commenting on this piece of legislation. I think, I think it would be an idea. I, I think it would be an opportunity yeah. for the community idea. not only to see us, get Dr. Ken involved, get the students as well as our community folks involved, and we'll tape from there take portions of that tape and uh, put it together as, again, our sort of gift to the community for some what I would call uh, reasonable, open, rational dialogue inside of this community on this issue. What do you guys think? That's a yes well, I will on my say end. that uh, we did uh, back in 2014, Dean College hosted that type of a forum. I brought in uh, professors from uh, of sociology from uh, UMass Boston, brought in uh, uh, the president of the Gun Owners Action League, some legislators. We had a full panel. We had a discussion. Uh, several hundred people showed up at Dean College uh, for this. So I it, it was very successful in generating some good conversation and some good ideas that we could uh, incorporate into the legislation. And I wholly endorse repeating it for exactly what you talked about, Michael. And I think it would be great for us to actually do our show right there, uh, right as, there. A, as a discussion. <laughs> I love the idea and kudos. Count me in. Well, that's, that's I think, a uh, part of this programming it is for us to not only just sort of commentate, but also bring out ideas that help us to build toward how do we move toward a more perfect union. And much of what I continue to pull out of history uh, is the fact that uh, absent social media for our founders, they had to talk to one another. Uh, and in many instances, more face-to-face -face 
They wrote letters. They had small gatherings. But again, we don't do enough of that now. We we rely upon a lot of social media. We rely upon uh, mass conversations. I know a few weeks ago, for example, Jake uh, Auchincloss, our uh, our state, I mean, our congressional rep had a town meeting, uh, but it was a mass telephone call. You couldn't see anybody and, you know, you, you, you know, you heard a lot, but still it, it, it wasn't interactive. So I'm a big proponent of getting back to, uh, at best, uh, a face-to-face and second to that would be a mass zoom or something where people can see at least, uh, their fellow commentators and their fellow participants. So I, uh, you know, I not only have I th- thrown out the idea, but I'll, I'll like you, Jeff, I think it's a wonderful opportunity for our community to come together to discuss a very serious issue. Uh, And as a final thought, I want to remind you, because you sounded a lot like Michael Douglas a little (laughs) bit uh, (laughs) there, Jeff. Which one, Uh, the talk show host or the movie star? No, this is the movie star we're talking about. And if you recall, uh, he uh, was the American president. Remember that movie? Oh, Uh, good Lord, yeah. And the issue, uh, one of the premises was not just the love interest between him and uh, and Bennett, uh, but it was the idea of gun control versus uh, what was the other issue. Uh, but gun control issues were out in the forefront. And when he, uh, in one of the final scenes, attacked uh, his rival from the other party, uh, he said, these are serious, these are serious issues in serious times. Uh, and he was talking about gun control. And he says, you know, I am the president of the United States and let's keep it serious. Well, taking hey, look, our- I can't I can't <laughs> let that piece of flattery go by without uh, a, a robust. Thank you, Michael. Um, uh, <laughs> what can I say now? You're going to have me watch that movie over the weekend. But uh, thank you for that shout out. And uh, thank you guys once again for a great show. And Nick, right back to you. Jeffrey, thank you very much for being with us as always. And Michael and everyone. But I guess on that note, we will close. This is a slightly higher note than we kind of stayed on for most of the show. But another more perfect union hour has flown by. And we have to say goodbye until next week. Now, if you'd like to weigh in on our discussions, we'd love to hear from you. As always, you can email us at info at franklin.tv that's i-n-f-o at franklin.tv if you enjoyed our discussion please let us know or if you disagree all the more reason to let us know now you can also share or listen to this program or any of our past episodes anytime our podcasts are available online at our website wfpr.fm so today for our guests actually not guests but permanent residents Michael Walker-Jones, higher education consultant, our representative on Beacon Hill, Jeff Roy, always the scintillating station Uh-oh. manager, Peter J. Did, did, did I did I scintillate again? I'm sorry. You did. You did. You practically <laughs> bubbled. It was carbonated today. Oh, 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 oh. oh, yeah. And that's an FCC legal word, too, by the yeah, way. Scintillated? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, look it up. Anyway, I'm Nick Remesong, not scintillating, maybe bubbling a little bit, but that's uh, that's because of the uh, barbecues over the weekend, but we won't worry about that. But I am Nick Remesong, and thanks for listening and joining our shared journey today toward a more perfect union. 
This is Franklin Public Radio.